Welcome to the Zen Stoic Path, where we share a modern take on timeless wisdom to help you develop unshakable inner peace so that you can live a liberated life. On this special segment of our episodes, we go into our liberated life interviews. We go beyond the bounds of Zen Stoic philosophy and we bring in people who are exemplary of living a life of liberation. On this special episode, I bring in Danny Hill. Danny Hill is the creator of the Aligned Alpha brand and is a men's empowerment coach and mentor for those looking to become the man they were always designed to be. With 14 years previous experience as a firefighter and EMT, he not only knows how to handle trauma, but also how to heal from it. He specializes in helping men of the world become the greatest versions of themselves through mindset work, sacred communication, and emotional intelligence expansion. This interview with Danny was absolutely amazing. I mean, the time flew by. It was just this really amazing back and forth of talking about how men can better understand their own emotions through truly becoming present to them and feeling them. And one of the ways in which, as men, we're able to heal from these emotions and these traumas that we haven't processed in our lives is to truly become present with them and have the ability to not just become present, but to allow others to witness us in that. Danny really specializes in this and is an absolute expert at explaining exactly how a person can go about really feeling and owning their emotions, but also sharing them with those that they love, where they can show of a different version of strength through vulnerability. Danny truly is an amazing guy. I really enjoyed talking to him. I think you're going to love this episode as he brings a totally new uh, perspective to the matter of what it means to be an alpha and what it is to be a man and truly own our masculinity at a different level than we have ever experienced before. So without further ado, enjoy the episode. All right, so what, one of the questions that I wanted to ask you that I was very curious about is what does it mean to be an aligned alpha? Because I kn- I was watching one of your videos. We were talking. You were talking about how a lot of people use the term alpha, and usually those who are using it are typically the ones butchering it or giving it a bad rap. So right. what does that mean to you? Yeah. So typically, when you hear the word alpha, for me, what I found um, in my experience is it's associated with something negative because it's been abused in the past by someone that's overcompensating or someone that's lashing out or someone that's trying to be seen. So they show up as this alpha, right? Mm -hmm. So for me, creating the term, the aligned alpha, what that was about is really being in alignment with yourself. So that's, you know, it starts physically, mentally, spiritually, and emotionally. When you can be in alignment with all of those, that's when you show up as your best self. A lot of alphas, so to say, right now are only showing up mentally and physically. They think that they have to have this, you know, appearance where they look very intimidating as a leader, right, as this alpha state. And then they have the mindset where I'm a hustler, I can grind, I'm not going to stop, no one can beat me. But what they're missing is the most important parts, and that's the emotional part and the spiritual part, being really connected to who they are, their truth, their passion, and their purpose, and then being able to address and deal with their traumas or heal from any wounds that they may have that's caused patterns in their life for them to act out or not act in alignment with who they are in their self. So for me, it's being an all-around man, just being in alignment with your your truth and your passion, your purpose, who you are, your mission in this life. But more than anything, as a man, addressing the emotional part. I think that's the biggest piece that's missed out in men today is not addressing the emotional things that need to be addressed. So we suppress those because societal programming has told us it's not right. You can't be a man. You can't address your emotions. It makes you weak, right? It puts all these labels on us. But at the root of this, as men, we crave to be 
connected to one another. We crave to be desired by women. We crave to have this masculine, manly feeling. But to be that and reach that, we have to acknowledge the emotions. We have to be able to ask for what we need. We have to be able to look at ourselves and grow into an aligned alpha. So yeah, that's kind of the brief concept of what the aligned alpha is and how it came about. I like it, man. I like it, It, especially because I, at least uh, the core of a lot of the work that I do has a lot to do with extracting the wisdom out of our emotions. And we're, uh, we're not able to do that unless we first feel our emotions and actually become present to them. And the whole narrative around what it is to be a man has always been, or at least as long as I can remember, has always been, don't show your emotions, like be very stoic about it. And one of the whole reasons why I even brought Zen into the mix and called the Zen stoic philosophy is because Zen is all about being perfectly and simply human. So it brings the humanity into the philosophy, so to speak. And so I think what you're saying is actually really important, right? Being able to acknowledge the emotional and the spiritual component of it. What originally inspired you to go in this direction um, when it came to creating the aligned alpha? Uh, man, my own story, you know, I, I think uh, it stemmed from me not having that safe place. Just a brief rundown. Uh, growing up, my mother was addicted to methamphetamines and alcohol. Nine years old, putting a needle on her arm. I was sexually molested as a kid, alcohol abuse. Uh, as an adult, um, suicidal thoughts, like all these things. And when I really sat with my emotions, I, I really saw that I didn't have a safe place to offload all the things that I kept suppressed, right? I didn't have anyone that I trusted of enough to really open up my heart to without the fear of being hurt or it being used against me. Right. And I think a lot of men carry that same weight. I think a lot of men walk around uh, these days with a lot of things that they're ashamed of, maybe something that they've done, something that's happened to them and they don't have that place to offload that. So they're not able to show up as their full or highest self. They put on a mask to fit in because they don't want to show that anything's wrong. Um, and each and every day that they do that, they step further and further away from their truth. So it's it's really been my mission over the last year to create an environment um, where a man can show up and feel safe, right? We can let all the bullshit go, all the the labels that's been put on us, all the facades that we have to show up and pretend to be the mask that we put on in the morning. Like I want to create an environment where a man can show up and say, look, man, I'm not okay. Mm-hmm. And I just need you to hold space and just talk to me. Like I need you to just be there for me without judgment, me not fearing that it's going to be used against me, me not fearing that you're going to look at me a different way. I just need a place where I can show up and offload all the shit that I've been carrying my entire life, all my insecurities, all the trauma that's happened to me. Like I need to be able to verbally process these things out loud and I need you to hold that space for me. And as men, I don't think we create this space enough for other men and it shows we don't. That's why suicide rates three to one, right? Cause women, they'll go and they'll talk all day. It's easy for women to open up their heart because that's what they crave is the emotional connection. Men crave the physical. So we've never been taught or at least I haven't in my experience as a kid, I've never been taught how to be a man with emotions, how to create that environment for other men, how to show up and express my wants, needs, and desires, right? Because my dad didn't do that, in which his dad didn't do that. So it's the pattern that I've learned from my dad, which I learned when my son was four, that I was continuing that pattern. And I had a situation where it really hit me where my son, we had to put our dog down, um, and I told my son about it and he was stoic, Pew, put the mask on, you know, nothing's wrong. I'm okay. Can I go to my room, daddy? Yes, sir. Can I be excused? Yes, sir. Okay. 
goes to his room, shuts the door. Two seconds later, I hear him crying. That right there was a pivotal moment for me that I have never created a safe place for my son to show up and express and show his emotion, which took me back to my childhood. I never had that. My adulthood, I never had that. So that's when I really started to make the changes. If I felt emotion, I'm going to show them, right? They're going to be controlled. I'm going to process them in a healthy way. But I want them to be seen and witnessed by my wife and son. That way it creates the safe environment. If they feel that, they can come to that. One of the biggest impacts for me is I was having a conversation with my buddy, uh, Ryan Young, one of my best friends, where he went deep about some shit that he went through in his childhood which I didn't know I needed this, but subconsciously I needed this permission to go that deep as well. Because once he went there, it allowed my ego and my walls to come down for me to go there. And I think that's why I lead with so much vulnerability Mm -hmm. with other men is because I hold my own in this masculine container. I'm confident in this masculine container. And if I show up and I can express or talk about some things that I went through in my childhood, that gives permission subconsciously. They don't know they need it, Mm -hmm. but what it does, it makes them feel safe. Makes him feel like, okay, he knows this. He's been there. He's witnessed this. He's felt this pain, but he's also healing and he's learned from it. Mm-hmm. So if he can express it and talk about it, then that allows me to open up and talk about it. Right. Oh, yeah. So that's, that's big for me is leading with vulnerability. And that's something that a lot of men are uncomfortable doing because of the labels and the programming mm-hmm. that we taught as that we were learned as kids, you know? So it's me making that difference now and creating that environment. Wow. That's that's awesome, man. I really, I, I like the fact that you lead with vulnerability because it does give that permission subconsciously to a person, right? To, to see that the person across from them is also is willing to go there. So even if they previously weren't willing to go there, that's going to give them the opportunity to do so. Yeah. Uh, right. Just because of the safety that exists that it's like, if you're willing to do that, so am I in, in some way that gets communicated. And I think what's fascinating is I have a principle that we talk about in Zen Stoic, which is to be the source of what you seek to experience, mm. right? Rather than essentially craving or striving for, for someone or something to give you the thing that you experience, you become the source of that for yourself and others. Yeah. And I always learned this lesson with the Chinese proverb of if you're always giving, then you always have. And if we can give ourselves that vulnerability, then we can break those generational cycles because it seems like you know, it, you had this experience with your son and you're like, that's not something I want to continue. And then it just kind of domino affected a whole string of realizations for you. Yeah. How does that leading with vulnerability, right? Cause you, you and your wife, you do some relationship uh, teaching, like you do conscious relationship work with couples. How does leading with vulnerability affect relationships and family dynamics? Well, I think for me personally with my wife, uh, like I said, women, they crave that emotional intimacy. Mm-hmm. She wants to see my heart. Like mm-hmm. I would, I can't speak for all, but I would say the majority of women, that's what they desire and crave in their relationship is to see their man's heart. Like for their man to feel safe enough to show mm-hmm. the one person in this world, their truth and their heart. Right. And then trusting them that they're not going to take advantage or hurt or be used against them. Right. So, you know, my wife craves that emotional intimacy And that's something that I'm proud to give her because, you know, as men, we test the waters a little bit. It's like, oh, I'll show you a little bit, but not all, because I'm scared if you see all, I'll be abandoned. That was my own shit I had to work through with the abandonment of my mother. Like Mm -hmm. all the things that I've healed in the last couple of years stems back to childhood. Mm -hmm. And I don't think many men realize that's where a lot of their patterns are created is 
in their childhood, in the environment they were in, they created a pattern to survive in that environment. Mm -hmm. But what we don't realize is when we escape that environment or we leave that environment, we're not rewiring the patterns we learned to survive in there. Mm -hmm. So now we're taking these patterns into our day-to-day lives, our work environment, more importantly, our relationships. Mm -hmm. If you don't take the time to heal your wounds and your trauma from your childhood, eventually they're going to come out and you're going to have to not only heal those, but your relationship in the long term, right? And unfortunately, and fortunately, I've had to do that. Mm-hmm. And it's been beautiful. It's been a beautiful journey because my wife has stuck by my side. Mm-hmm. My wife has been the only feminine energy in my life that didn't abandon me when all my shit came to surface. Because mm-hmm. I never felt safe because that didn't always happen. Yes. So for her to get to witness me and everything, all of it, right? And for her to still stick by my side, like that healed that wound with the feminine. It allowed me to show up fully and it allowed me to trust mm-hmm. because I was that vulnerable. Yeah. Being vulnerable. And that's what created it is the vulnerability and trusting that container that I had with my wife. Right. Absolutely. And eventually I'm, I'm a huge believer, you know, it's like all your shit's eventually going to come to light. Mm-hmm. So whether you like it or not, it's going to, it's going to come to light. So if you can create a container where it's safe enough to offload that on your own terms and on your own time, Mm -hmm. it's either, it's even healthier. My situation, it was forced, right? Which turned into a blessing in disguise because now I'm a man that's walking the streets with no shadows and no secrets. Mm -hmm. I have nothing that's holding me back, making me feel unworthy or shame because I don't carry anything that I was carrying my entire life. That's right. So I finally got to offload that and you become a new man. Like I'm a huge believer and you will peel back layers of yourself and you get to witness and find like your true potential, your power and your truth. Once you start peeling back those layers and it all starts with being vulnerable. Yeah, I I agree completely. I remember uh, until this relationship that I'm in now, I was uh, telling you about my girlfriend earlier before we got on the air. And one thing that was really fascinating with her is that it was the first time that I got to be fully vulnerable and have it totally embraced by my by my partner. In previous relationships, I'm sure you've experienced this too, where like you start to give that little little bit of vulnerability. You're like, here's a slice of that vulnerability. And then the reaction is almost like they're upset that you got vulnerable. Now you got to help console your partner because now they're upset because you got vulnerable, which essentially conditions us not to be vulnerable. Right. When somebody can't just receive it or hold the space for us. And that was one of the things that in in my current relationship, it was one of the things that I didn't really know I needed until it happened. Mm -hmm. Like I was having a a rough time in business last year. Like nothing was working no matter what I could do. And I just, I got to a a breaking point, so to speak. And I, for the first time ever, I cried in front of my girlfriend and it was such a healing moment. So it's such like a release of being like, Oh wow. Like, I can show myself and she not only accepts it, but fully embraces it and is like totally with me in this. And it gave me a strength that I didn't know I had, right. To actually rise up and alchemize my situation into something meaningful and constructive. Right. And I'm so glad that that happened. Right. Like, like you said, blessing in disguise, these, these things that we experience. Yeah. And I think until we're witnessed with the things that we're uncomfortable with or the things that we feel shameful about until we're witnessed in those moments, Mm -hmm. they're always going to have that hold on us. Mm -hmm. Right. So if there's a secret that you have or there's a habit that you do 
it's always going to feel shameful until you're witnessed in it or you're witnessed by someone when you speak about it. And it's kind of like the boogeyman. You know, the more you try to avoid them, the more it grows into this big thing, right? And that's the same thing with all of our things that we've suppressed over the years that we keep inside. So for me, I'm a big component of being witnessed in it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that allows me to detach from it and look at it from a different perspective. Yes. Where it's not making it so big and it's not so dramatic, right? Because the biggest war we have is in between our ears. Mm-hmm. We can make something so huge when in reality, if we're just witnessed and seen with it, it's not that big. But we create the story and image in our head that it is. So, yeah, a lot of my healing has came from just being witnessed in my shit. Yeah. And still being loved and knowing that she's not going anywhere. My mm-hmm. son's not going anywhere. Like, I'm I'm a good person. And they yeah. see that, you know. That's beautiful. Important. Man. Uh, it, the, the being witnessed, I think, is is really huge. Yeah. And, I, and I wanted to touch on something that you said there because I think this is a really important idea is, like, one thing that I learned from one of my coaches in the past was anything that you keep in your mind, right, for longer than 24 hours, let's say, starts to become distorted. Like whatever whatever the validity was has now been distorted. And the more we try to shove it down into the shadows of our mind, the more that little disturbance starts to become a monster mm-hmm. within us. And then it becomes that shadow, the thing that our ego doesn't approve of because it's not right by based on convention or societal expectations and so we keep it in and it grows and grows and grows and then it comes out in the form of outbursts or uh, behavior that's not really desirable for us things that sabotage us so i think it's really key to bring the parts of ourselves that we've cast away into the shadows into the light so that they may be healed and actually we can extract wisdom and constructive behaviors and ways of being out of those things that we were so afraid of at one point in time yeah, no, that that's absolutely true. I think the problem nowadays with that mm-hmm. is it voluntarily puts you in a place where you're uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the world we live in today is they don't like being uncomfortable. Anything that's uncomfortable, we don't want to we don't want to do right. That's why we have Amazon Prime. That's why we have Netflix. We can stay at home. Mm-hmm. That's why we have the social media. We can numb out. Right. We have phones. We have websites. We can just go to and numb out or we can show up and be someone that we're completely not. Mm-hmm. The society nowadays is built around comfortability. We don't have a rite of passage anymore for boys becoming men, right? We don't have that because it's uncomfortable. You have to go through challenges. You have to be pushed to your edge and beyond to find your capabilities. So for a man to voluntarily put himself in the place where he's uncomfortable, example, dealing with emotions, dealing with past trauma, if he doesn't have his tribe, if he doesn't have his people mm-hmm. that can hold that space or hold him accountable or offer advice, more than likely, 99% of the time, the man's not going to step up and do that by himself. Right. Unless he's to the point where he's about to lose a family, mm-hmm. he's suicidal, or he's to the rock bottom where he has no other choice. Mm-hmm. Right. So for me, it's really important creating that environment for men mm-hmm. to start really working on that before he gets to those three things, mm-hmm. right? Because if you can do it voluntarily and you can create your tribe and have your people around, like, I don't know what I would do without my tribe. Mm-hmm. Like they have been through hell and back with us. Mm-hmm. Right. And they're still there because they've witnessed us at our lowest points and they're still there, which does nothing but strengthen the relationship. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of men have to let their ego go. That's mm-hmm. the biggest thing holding them back from healing or showing emotion is their ego. Like mm-hmm. they care so much about how other people perceive them. Mm-hmm. When if people really stopped and thought, 
how much they really were thought about by their people, they wouldn't let the impact of those thoughts right. stop them. You know what I mean? It's yeah. like, oh, I don't want him to think differently. But really, dude never even thinks about me or, you know, cross it. I don't ever cross his mind. But yet we change who we are. We put a mask on to fit this facade so they view us a certain way when in reality they don't give a shit about us. No, they're thinking about all their own shit. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> the whole time. They're thinking about how everyone else is viewing them, right? Yeah. So as men, if we could just drop our ego, mm-hmm. like, and just really sit with what's going on and what you need to do to be a better man. Mm-hmm. Like once you take your ego out of that, the path will be shown. Mm-hmm. Now it's up to you to make that decision to go. You know, yeah. it's, it's, it's a game changer. Absolutely. I'd, I'd love to share this idea with you. Cause I always, I view the ego in, I would say in a unique way based on like what I've read and studied over the years. But I always see the ego as the symbol for our individual experience, like in this life, but it itself is not the individual experience. It's just our symbol, our little snapshot or of the current iteration of what we accept ourselves to be, not including all the unconscious stuff (laughs) that that exists there, the the whole, uh, you know, 90% of the iceberg, so to speak. And so uh, what I've always found very helpful for myself is the disidentification with the ego and remembering that the ego is simply my means of having an individual experience so that I know to drink my water instead of yours, mm-hmm. right, in this situation. Uh, and and I found that to be very helpful is to allow the ego to be a servant but not a master. Yes. To allow ourselves to use it rather than it use us, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> so um, I'm curious, like, what are your thoughts on if a person feels like they, they continuously identify with their ego, what's a good way for them to begin to essentially take a step back so that their ego can become their servant rather than their master? Yeah, I think your ego is kind of like your yin and your yang. You know what I mean? It, it can be good, it can be bad, mm-hmm. depending on how you can serve it. But when you come to it with emotional intelligence and you can disconnect from what's actually happening and step back and say, okay, am, am I triggered because it's my ego, mm-hmm. right? Because maybe... Say he took first place, right? Mm -hmm. Is it my ego saying, oh, I know I'm better? Or is it my ego saying it wasn't my time? Mm. Like I still have, it's teaching me that I have these other teachings where I can grow, right? So your ego, I believe it it can be good and bad, Uh, but you have to approach it with the emotional intelligence of being able to disconnect yourself from the situation and come into that, you know, four or five D realm versus the three D realm that we're in. Mm -hmm. Like it's easy to get stuck in it right here and think, oh, you know, get pissed off and let your ego take up and you're automatically defensive. But if you can step back and look at it from a higher point of view and look, okay, what lessons can be taught out of this? What can I learn from this? Mm -hmm. And that way you're not defensive. You're taking the emotional out of it and you're able to really analyze what's going on. And I believe that's where your teachings lie. And that's where you're able to see Mm -hmm. what needs to be learned in that moment. Yeah. I think that that's a great way of doing it. Um, One book that I found really helpful with that was, the book Nonviolent Communication. I don't know if you've read it before, but he has a, a structure essentially for conversation or like communication. Now it's for communication, but it also allows a person to actually get really in touch with their own emotions and separate the situation from what they're feeling. Right? The situation may have triggered what they're feeling, mm-hmm. but it gives a person an opportunity to get away from the story and just make an observation. So it goes observation then what's the feeling? What's the unexpressed need? Because at the end of the day, when people are throwing opinions and value judgments, really, they're just 
covering up an unexpressed need, right? Which if they own their need <laughs> and right. they were vulnerable, right? If they're vulnerable <laughs> and own that need, then they can feel what they feel. And then they can make a request for that need to be met, which right. would be the fourth step. Right. So I always found that really interesting and in just taking a moment to take a step back, like you were saying, right. Guess they could take a step back from this 3d realm and go like, okay, what's actually happening. Right. And this is why things like meditation can be really helpful, right? Getting into that space of witnessing the mind rather than fully identifying with the mind. Yeah. I think that that leads into kind of responding and not reacting. Mm. Like that's a big part of having to let your ego go, right? Mm. And being emotionally intelligent and really sitting with it. For me, I have 24 hours, mm. right? So if something is said or I need to, something triggered me, I hold my tongue. I, I, I do. It is very rare that I react. Like I've built my stoicism and my being off mm. of really processing what's going on before I respond. Mm. Um, so for reaction is you say something, it triggers me. I immediately react mm. and I'm going to say something back. More than likely, nine out of ten times, after an hour pass, I'm going to say, shit, I could have handled that different. Mm. Or I'm going to have to come back and apologize. Mm. Or I'm going to have to look at it and say, did I just burn that bridge? Right? So that's reacting for me. You say something and it triggers me. I'm going to just nod. I'm going to sit for a little bit, but I'm going to process. I'm going to let the emotion out of it. I'm going to process one. Why was I triggered? Cause my triggers are my triggers. It's not nothing you did. It's my trigger. Right? Mm -hmm. So I'm going to process what really took place. Then I'm going to articulate a response that's not based out of emotion. Like I'm going to be grounded in my response. And if it takes me 24 hours, that's how long it takes me. Cause I'll come back to you say tomorrow and say, Hey man, yesterday during our conversation, you said X, Y, Z. And I, this is how I've processed it. And this is how I'd like to move forward with the conversation. Um, but a lot of people get wrapped up in, I have to respond right now. Mm. Even if I'm in conversation out and say at dinner or something, someone says something, if I pause for a minute and I'm fully taking it in, I'm processing it mm -hmm. and I'm understanding what was their intention? What was said? I'm articulating my response out of an emotion, not emotional, mm -hmm. but from a grounded state. And then I'm correlating a response for them. And I found when I've done that, man, you'll be amazed of how grounded you feel, mm -hmm. but also how many arguments you avoid. Oh yeah. <laughs> it's especially in relationships, mm -hmm. especially in relationships. If you can articulate a grounded response versus an emotional response, oh man, it's a game changer. That is, yeah, I, I could definitely see how that would allow you to feel more grounded and to, to understand yourself better because you've gone through the process of actually reflecting like, okay, well, what was that trigger actually about? Yeah. What would you say if someone reacts to you? What do you feel like is a healthier, constructive way to handle that when someone else is essentially emotionally reacting? Yeah, so I, I would simply respond, look, man, I, it's obvious that there's some emotional things tied up in your response. Mm -hmm. um, I receive that and I hear you, mm -hmm. but I'm going to sit with my response for a little bit because I don't want to lash out and I don't want to have to mm -hmm. revisit or, you know, apologize for a response, however you want to articulate it, mm -hmm. right? Depending on who you're speaking to, but more, more or less make it be known. Hey, you're coming from an emotional place. I want to come from a grounded place because I value and respect our friendship. Mm -hmm. uh, so I'm not going to respond to that. I think it's best I don't respond to that. Mm -hmm. And if I feel it needs a response and I'll get back to you later today. Yeah. I think, I think that's fascinating because it typically when somebody is reacting, their communication oftentimes has a lot of presuppositions that by you responding in that moment or reacting without having 
had had the time to reflect on it, you're also accepting the presuppositions that might not actually be true right. and might only be active because they're emotionally charged in that moment. Right. Right. So instead of accepting the things that they're saying, you're saying, hey, uh, I want to revisit this and reflect upon this, which I think is a solid strategy. Yeah. Right? And you're, avoid you're a lot of arguments. For your sure. reaction can validate their response. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So if they're, if they come at you triggered and charged up and you react to it, that just validates how they feel because I responded. Mm -hmm. So it's like, Oh, okay. Then I was it's right. confirmation for that. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. So just staying grounded, man, and, and know your truth and know your power and not needing the external validation. If you're right or wrong, mm -hmm. like I'm not going to argue with you if you know, my gun's 10 or not. Like, yeah, exactly. just, it is what it is. Yeah, like, exactly. If you believe it's red, cool. It's red, but mm -hmm. I'm not going to argue with that because I know my truth and I know what I feel. Mm -hmm. So I teach my son that he's real big on that. I think it's probably about four years ago. Mm -hmm. uh, we just, we let him dress himself. And uh, ever since then, he will come out looking like Adam Sandler. <laughs> you know, well, I made the comment the other day. I said, man, my wife and I, we've worked our ass off to create this beautiful, abundant, free life. Mm -hmm. And he could walk into a store basically and get anything he wants. Mm -hmm. And I turned the camera around, but he chooses to dress like this. And it's like <laughs> a little mini Adam Sandler. But what's cool about it is if you say, buddy, are you sure you want to wear that? Mm -hmm. He is so confident. He says, daddy, I don't care what people think. Mm -hmm. It's like... That's a great, That's great what mentality to build up. Absolutely, yeah. because he will grow up and he will be able to stay in his lane and not focus on the, the external bullshit mm -hmm. that's being thrown because he is confident and he knows his truth and his power and oh, it's straightforward. Uh, that's amazing. That, that's a great, great way to teach somebody to essentially be congruent in themselves from a very young age rather than allow the perceived opinions of others. Sometimes it's not the actual opinions, it's just the imagination of other people's opinions that we allow to dictate our actions and decisions. Yeah. So it's a great foundation, especially at the age that he's at. Um, I think what's interesting that you brought up earlier is this idea of how we pick up these patterns, these adaptations very early in life, sometimes before we've even learned language to encode what it is that we're experiencing. Yeah. Uh, one thing that, that I talk about a lot in the work that I do is we, we talk about these stages of development that uh, Morris Massey created or he discovered, which is zero to seven is the imprint period. Uh, seven to 14 is the modeling period where we essentially find our heroes and we start to imitate and copy people's behaviors. And then 14 to 21 is the socialization period where we start to find our, our tribe or our, our social circles. And oftentimes when we have major unprocessed negative emotions, they all happened before the age of seven. Like we've had a full spectrum of emotions. So a lot of the time when they're not processed, we can be in our 30s or 40s and having a, the same response that we did when we were four or five years old, thinking that that's an appropriate way to act right in the world. It's, and it's not effective for an adult because they're using an, an operating system that worked as a child right. in, in a world where they want to be a certain person. They want to be aligned in a certain way. And yet because it's unconscious, they're unable to retrieve that or retrieve what the source of that is. So the term I use for this, for any kind of unprocessed major negative emotions, unprocessed traumas or significant emotional experiences or limiting narratives that somebody has about themselves is what I like to call emotional debt. And every time we have an experience that triggers us, you can think of that as like an interest payment because we're never reacting to the thing that's in front of us. Like you said, like our triggers are our triggers. Right. We're reacting to something that happened you know, a long time ago, um, our mutual friend, Stefano Sefandos, he, he says it like we time travel in these moments. Like somebody says something and it's all of a sudden we're back at, you know, four or five, six years old. 
and not sure why we're reacting a certain way. And then later on, we say like, oh, why did I say that? <laughs> you know, yeah. And wanting to apologize. I, I find it really fascinating how those, how those triggers have actually so much to tell us and yet people shy away from them. Because it's uncomfortable. Because it's uncomfortable. <laughs> That's what it boils, boils down to. Um, and a great example, you know, some of my clients that I've coached is grown-ass men. Mm-hmm. And they still seek the validation. Mm-hmm. And I've done this. I'm, I'm, I've done it too. So oh, you yeah. still seek the validation. <laughs> both, like how many, how many times have you gone to your wife when you put some clothes on? Hey, babe, does this look good? Like, mm-hmm. Is this okay? Mm-hmm. Right? Because for me, I'm seeking validation from feminine. Mm-hmm. So how long as a child did I chase the validation of my mother every fucking day mm-hmm. because she never showed up as a mother. So I would seek her validation. Right. Or as a kid, if I'm playing and I'm being loud and I'm having too much fun, Hey, stop, calm down. You're being too much. Mm-hmm. You're being too much. How many times did I hear that as a kid, you're being too much. Mm-hmm. Now it is adult. If something's wrong, I don't want to ask for help. Why? I don't want to be too much because mm-hmm. subconsciously that's imprinted. That if I'm loud, if I'm having too much fun, or I need help with something, I am too much. I am a burden. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people don't connect those two. Mm-hmm. But where do you connect them? In meditation? Mm-hmm. In time where you're spent with yourself, where you go inward, you connect with your soul, you connect with your heart, you face and deal with and acknowledge and process your traumas mm-hmm. and all the things that you need to heal. Because I would still be walking blindly and thinking, oh, it's just me. That's just how I am. I'm just, I'm, I feel like I'm too much or I'm unworthy, right? But no, it's always connected to something. Mm-hmm. And until you sit with yourself, you won't find the connection, mm-hmm. right? It's not going to just pop up. Like you have to invest time in your spiritual and your mental and in your health. You have to express, put time in to grow in that area and to explore and expand and push the edges, right? Um, so yeah, there's so many things that have just came up where it's like, oh, that makes sense now. And I can revert it back to a specific moment in my childhood. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And then you can have the, the awareness to actually yeah. reflect and change what it means to you, change whatever that event you means can rewire to and reframe. That's right. Yeah. But you have to feel the emotion. You have to be present with it. Mm-hmm. You have to be uncomfortable to even start to reframe something, mm-hmm. right? You can't reframe it from the external looking down and say, yeah, I know this and X, Y, Z. No, it's like, you need to feel that. So while you're feeling it and you're in the emotion, you're there. You're in that moment when you were that little six-year-old boy. It's like, okay, you're safe. Mm-hmm. Like you can go back now as your higher self and then who you are today and visit that little boy. I've done so much little boy work. Mm-hmm. Like I've gone back and visited, you know, little man so many times. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you're safe. Mm-hmm. You don't have to fear this anymore. Yes. You're enough. You know, you're worthy. And it's like, I've done so much work around that. Mm-hmm. And that's been the deepest healing that I've got to experience is going back and being with, any you know years ago so yeah it's been cool it's been really cool to get to revisit him absolutely yeah interestingly enough you know the, the inner child the little boy has a lot more to teach you than than we than we think or than we expect as as adults right like that that version of ourselves as, yeah. as children has a lot a lot to actually share with us that if we take the time to go and do it we can resolve quite a bit that will affect our decision making and how we show up in, in the world today yeah uh, I think there, there's one thing that you were saying there around this idea of like feeling your emotions or feeling your feelings. And what I found interesting is it sounds like a really obvious thing to say, but I've had, <laughs> I've had many people be like, how do I feel the feelings? How do I feel the emotions? What would you share with somebody who's asking that question? 
So you got to you got to be open to it. So, and what was dropping in for me as you were just speaking, mm-hmm. guys are probably listening to this that haven't done the work, right? Mm-hmm. That aren't on this page. And it's like, what the fuck is he talking about? Like little <laughs> boy going back and visiting, like spiritual stuff. Like that's just not me. Well, it's because you haven't done the work. Mm-hmm. Like I, you can only meet me at the depths of the work that which you've done, mm-hmm. right? So for you to even for someone to even think that just shows me they haven't done a lot of inner work. They haven't right. done a lot of emotional work. Um, so to answer your questions, to start with that, it's like you have to be able to feel that mm-hmm. um, and you have to be able to even have the conscious or awareness to think outside the box or the programming that you've been taught already. And to feel that for me is you really have to catch yourself. When I'm feeling an emotion mm-hmm. for so long, it was just a reaction to mm-hmm. suppress, mm-hmm. like compartmentalize, don't even think about it, change the subject, go somewhere else, right? For me after being a first responder for almost 15 years and seeing a lot of the things that I saw when we were in our old town, mm-hmm. when I would drive by or down certain streets, we would pass a scene where there was an MVA with fatality, a kid wrapped up, whatever it may be. Right. And it would trigger a response for me. And before I started doing the work, I would sit with it for a second. I would relive that moment and then, I, okay, I don't want to feel it and push it down or change the subject, turn up the radio or whatever it may be. Right. But then I got in the habit of if I passed a scene or I passed something that triggered a memory or an emotion, mm-hmm. I would sit and I would feel it mm-hmm. and I would speak it out loud or I'd speak to my wife about it. And what that did is that allowed me to take control, voluntarily take the control of that emotion. I was no longer a prisoner to it. Mm-hmm. I opened it up and I expanded it and I talked about it and I processed it and I released it. Mm-hmm. Right. And once you're able to process and release, that's when it no longer has control over you. Yes. But you will be a prisoner to your own shit until you do those things, process and release. Mm-hmm. And it takes with talking out loud. Some people journal, some people meditate, like everybody has their own thing, but it starts with the exploration of finding out what serves you best. Yeah, uh, sure. absolutely. I did um, an episode recently. So this, this podcast I do solo and then interview mm-hmm. and, uh, on the last solo episode that I recorded uh, at the time of this, this conversation between you and I, it was on this idea of what I call integral awareness, which is uh, an eight part series that is a Zen stoic modification or iteration of the Buddhist eightfold path, but Zen stoic rendition and integral awareness is a very complicated topic. There's a lot of things that we can be aware of, but where I find the most beneficial and simplest place to start is to be aware of your own emotions mm-hmm. because they have a lot of wisdom within if you're just willing to do the uncomfortable thing and feel them and, and, yeah. and be with them. And the story that I told on that, and I think you'll find this interesting, is I always had back pain from the age of 11 to 30 years old. Right. Like I didn't understand where it came from. I always thought that it was because I didn't warm up properly or because I was naturally unflexible or any of the the stories that I would tell myself as a kid. And in the work that I do today, one of the the things that I'll do with my clients is that if they have any kind of chronic pain, I have a process that I take them through that will alleviate the chronic pain within minutes, even if it's been around for 10, 20, 30 years. Because the whole theory behind it is that chronic pain is chronic dissociation from emotion and the body does pain to let you know that there's something that hasn't been felt yet. Yes. So I was, you know, sitting there with my back pain and learning, becoming more aware of this work. Like I had heard about it before, but I hadn't dove, uh, like I I didn't dive into it quite yet. 
but I was like, you know what? I got to do something because I'm doing all these mobility exercises and, and whatnot. And they're helping. Like, it's less, but it's not going away. And I had gotten an MRI there was a diagnosis that I had herniated the L5-S1 disc and it was like pinching a nerve, which is why I was feeling, you know, the sciatic pain in the leg and all the whole bit. And one of my friends, she was sharing with me this idea of uh, psychological roots to pain and disease uh, from a book that I actually have over here called uh, Heal Your Body by Louise Hayes. And what it said in there is like L5-S1 is typically linked to unexpressed anger. And for me, growing up, I was never, uh, I never identified myself as an angry person, right? And I actually, interestingly enough, there came a point where I realized I couldn't actually feel it. And I was like, this is odd. I can't feel anger. And when she told me that, I'm like, well, who, who could I possibly be angry at? And then all of a sudden it came to me, right, in, in contemplation. And I realized I was actually angry at my mom for getting sick and for passing away when I was a kid. And to me, that was the most taboo thing ever, especially as a six-year-old kid, right? To think like I'm mad at my mom, mm -hmm. a person who had cancer and a person who died. Like all of those are wrong and like not, like I'm not allowed to feel that. Right. And so instead of anger, what I actually ended up feeling instead of that was guilt. I covered my anger with guilt for even having those feelings. And the way it showed up in my life is came out in people-pleasing, came out in anytime a situation warranted a healthy response of anger, I would instead feel guilty and say, what did I do if somebody wronged me? Yeah. And it was fascinating because the moment I realized that, the moment I actually shared that and expressed that to myself, like I feel angry with her and I let myself feel the anger and then I allowed myself to let it go and let it pass, the next day the pain went down to a zero. Mm, process and release yeah <laughs> process and release yep. and then when i shared it with other people and i was witness in it it helped sustain that result yeah. right it, and it allowed me to to feel seen in that so i find it fascinating how our bodies can respond <laughs> to to the lack of feeling one's emotions and the strategies that we might run like as a kid for whatever reason i thought that well if i feel guilt instead at least there's some virtue in that i I, I may, it may have rationalized as a six-year-old kid right, <laughs> like, yeah. instead of just feeling the anger for which was a healthy response at that age not knowing what was going on and experiencing a perceived injustice of a parent passing away right so mm -hmm. i i find that that fascinating how the body can actually indicate so much to us yeah the body keeps the score yeah <laughs> it's a phenomenal book and yeah. uh i feel that you know somatic release has been a huge part in my healing journey mm -hmm. Uh, listen, you know, me and Steph, we went through this quite a bit where he was teaching me how to listen to the body. Mm -hmm. It's like, I've never listened to the body, mm -hmm. you know, because my body, and when I was younger, I got in some trouble because my anger and I lashed out and I was physical with someone. Mm -hmm. I hurt him pretty bad. Um, and now being, you know, 80, 90 pounds heavier than I was then and 10 times stronger. It's like, I'm scared to show anger. Like I always try to hold anger in because I've seen the re right if i ever got physical um so for years i always held it in but your body right you feel it in your body so what i learned and when i started really listening to the body and doing what my body needed it's like weights were dropping off me like i felt so much lighter so in the moment if i feel anger and i feel like i just need to scream or just you know hit something mm -hmm. before i just i 
tuck it in because I didn't want that emotion to be seen because it was scary to me Mm -hmm. and I didn't want to, you know, react Mm -hmm. instead of respond. So what I've started doing, if I feel that emotion and it comes up, I'll, man, I'll go up in our Zenden at the house Mm -hmm. and I release it in whatever way I feel. If I need to shake, I'll shake. If I need to scream, I'll scream in a pillow. Uh, if I need to smash or slam a pillow, I mean, that's what I do, but I'm listening to the body. And I found when I do that, mm-hmm. it releases so much tension mm-hmm. in my body. And afterwards I feel so just like melted. Yeah. So much better. Oh yeah. Um, and I've actually, my wife and I, we do this practice with my son. Like my son will come to me, daddy, I've been holding anger in with you and mommy all week. I'm going to go scream. Okay, buddy, would you like to speak about why? You know, try to address mm-hmm. the reasoning why. But I think sometimes he, he, he'll, yeah. he'll do it just because he's seen mommy and daddy do it. But that's awesome. how awesome is that to learn that at eight years old? He's about to be nine. But if I could learn the things that I know now at his age, mm-hmm. like it's so beautiful. He's going to be, oh, man, just so much joy and moments of proudness came in. Mm-hmm. Whoever is his wife, or his partner, when he gets older, they're, they're going to be so lucky oh, because yeah. he isn't. I mean, he he will race me to the truck to open his mother's door. Mm-hmm. It's yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. Like he is. The, he has the kindest heart. And this actually was really hard for me mm-hmm. because I grew up complete opposite. I grew up where I had to defend and fight and physical and like mm-hmm. and not a safe environment. So. I was very physical as a kid. So when I heard I was having a son, I was like, oh, he's going to be a fighter like me. He's going to play professional <laughs> hockey. You know, he's going to do all these things that I did. Mm-hmm. And he came out and he's just this gentle little thing. So for the first couple of years, I was like, man, it was a lesson in me learning that his soul's on this planet for a reason. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to imprint who I think he should be on him. And I'm going to let him experience life and live it freely. So it's like he's just now getting into jujitsu, which is oh, that's I'm awesome. so happy. Yeah. It's like finally he's in it. But then he loves soccer, uh, you know. So he he loves he's finding his reason and he knows his purpose. And it's beautiful being able to step back and mm-hmm. not try to imprint my own shit on him and get to let him express freely of who he is in this world. Oh yeah. And if you know every kid had that opportunity, I think you'd see a lot more happiness in the world with little kids, you know. So for sure. Yeah. Cause they great. get to express themselves yeah. sincerely of what's alive within them. Right. I, I always talk about how, when we remove the emotional debt from our lives, it allows the innate wisdom, our own innate intelligence of our bodies, our souls to actually be expressed. And we get to tap into that. But oftentimes we can't tap into it because it's covered in shit, so yeah. to speak. It's covered in all of our stories and all of our traumas that are unprocessed and our emotions. And a kid, right? They have a lot less emotional debt, typically speaking, than an adult. Mm-hmm. So being able to nurture and cultivate that is, I, I, I imagine that it's going to create such a profound change in consciousness for the, the generations to come. Like the, you know, the ones who are your son's age now being raised in this way and, and getting access to these tools, it's going to be a totally different world, you know, when, when they grow up, which is, I'm, very excited to be able to see like what that turns into for, for our society. Yeah. My wife and I, we say, we, you know, we joke about how we're generational pattern breakers. Oh yeah. (laughs) You know, and we've chose to do that and do this life together in many lifetimes together. You know, we've always found each other, I believe. Um, and my wife and I have such a deep connection and it's not just physical. It's not just, you know, there's so much more, like I said, we've had so many past lives together and I believe that and feel that with her because of how I can show up with her. Mm -hmm. And, um, 
you know, the lessons that we've learned from our childhood, we've got to really grow into as adults mm-hmm. and break that cycle. So he doesn't have to heal from those traumas right. because we continued the pattern. So to be able to share that with my wife and create this world for our son to grow up in, you know, it allows him not to have to spend so much time healing mm-hmm. that he can focus on expanding. Mm-hmm. And it's beautiful. Yeah. To be able to create Yeah. That. Playing, expressing, expanding yeah. who he is. And yeah, I, I think that's beautiful. It's a, it's a very compelling vision yeah. for us to have, you know, as people who are creating the next generation is like, what, what did we want? What do we want to be the source of for, for our, our children growing up and, I think that's amazing the way you and your wife are, are raising your son. Yeah, for it's sure. Really cool. <laughs> I, <laughs> Allowing him I to think, express his emotions in a really healthy, constructive way. I think that's awesome. Yeah, and any parent that's listening to this, it's like, man, the best advice I have like right now in this moment, even if you're not on this whole spiritual or healing journey, whatever it may be, it's as simple as sitting down with pen and paper and writing down, what did you wish that your parents told you? How did you wish that your parents viewed you? Like, what did you crave from your parents that you never got? Maybe because they didn't know how, right? But what did you desire from them? And more than likely, those are the things that your kids wanted from you. Yeah. Because you're in the same pattern that your parents were in. Mm -hmm. So it's like, it, it, that hits deep. Like a lot of people will write that down and be like, holy shit, Mm -hmm. I'm just the next generation of the, how my parents were. So if, they can do that in that small moment and decide not to be that, that's going to make a huge shift or simply go to their kids. Mm-hmm. Hey buddy, you know, how do you feel dad lacks? Like how's dad not showing up for you? Mm-hmm. What are some things you would love to see me do? Mm-hmm. You know, and just ask, they'll tell you yeah. their kids. Let them be part of the if conversation. They haven't <laughs> been imprinted by the world yet. Kids are honest, openly honest because they don't have that fear of rejection. You know, once the world gets a hold of the kids and mm-hmm. the school programming and all these things, that's when they start getting mm-hmm. impacted and molded. Oh yeah. Right. So the longer that we can keep them in awareness and parent consciously and openly let them express, it's like, then they're not having that fear of I'm too much, mm-hmm. you know, like I had, you know, Harrison quit. You're too much. Then he's mm-hmm. going to grow up believing he's too much. So mm-hmm. as an adult, he's going to have to have, same shit that I went through. Mm-hmm. So creating that in space for him to show up as his truth now keeps him from having to heal. Yes. As an adult. So Absolutely. It's been, it's been a journey, but it's been That's great. He's always, <laughs> he's always our greatest teacher. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Most definitely. It gives, it gives you an opportunity to see like w- without having a son there, you wouldn't know a lot of the things that maybe you were carrying on from a generational perspective until he showed up and acted like that, that mirror, that teacher yeah. or you to be like, Oh shit. <laughs> like, like these are some things I need to, you need to, to work on here. That's awesome, man. So the the next question I have for you is like, you, you were saying you, you create these containers for mm-hmm. men to come and express to essentially find themselves, you know, through a lot of the work that you do. What are you most excited about right now in the work that you're doing out in the world? Yeah. So, you know, speaking of these containers and mm. it's like, if I would have heard myself talk, you know, three, four, five years ago, mm-hmm. man, I would say, how can this dude claim he's a alpha or an aligned alpha? Mm-hmm. Like, what is he talking about? These emotions and all that. And it just, it goes to show. And I really like to reflect back on where I, where I was to mm-hmm. where I am today, because there's been so much growth. Uh, so the exciting thing for me that is in the works right now is uh, creating an event coming up later this year that we're putting together 
where we're actually bringing fathers and sons in mm. and we're building the foundation to have a beautiful relationship and connection between father and son. Mm-hmm. Um, because that's something that's greatly needed because usually the father, if they're in the life, they're the greatest impact on their son. It's the mother's job to make a baby to a boy, mm-hmm. right? But it's the father's job to create that boy into a man. Mm-hmm. And there has to be a foundation of solid values in life. Mm-hmm. And if the father's not willing to open up and be vulnerable or show right emotion, then that's what the kid's going to learn. And he's not going to feel safe. So I always say there's a lot of parents creating these false facades or expectations that the kids feel that they can never live up to. Like take an example, little eight year old boy has never seen daddy cry. Daddy's the man of the house. He's super strong. He's never been hurt. And now this little boy feels sadness or he feels like he needs to cry. But since he's never seen daddy do it, do you think he's going to feel safe to show up and cry with daddy Mm -hmm. or express emotion? No, because then he'll feel not enough Mm -hmm. or not as strong as daddy. And he wants daddy's approval and to be seen as that. So creating this retreat where the fathers and sons come in and we put them through physical shit that makes them uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. But what that does is they're going through that together. And there's something about being forged in fire together as father and son that really strengthens that bond Mm -hmm. because that father has an opportunity to lead by example. Mm -hmm. And that son has an opportunity to see that dad's off the pedestal. Like dad is human. Dad can struggle. And that creates that bond that's so deep and strong. And also it's a, a chance for dad to show up emotionally and create that space for his son to be seen and express what is needed. Because once you break down physically, mm-hmm. that's when the walls come down of the ego and now you can express emotionally. Mm-hmm. And that's the goal for it is really create that bond between father and son. So super excited about that. It's going to be a weekend event. Um, and yeah, it's still in the works and it's going to be, I think it's going to be game changing for fathers that haven't understood why the connection between their sons, not where they want it to be. Mm-hmm. And I think it starts like what we talked about is leading with vulnerability creating that space so they feel safe enough to mm-hmm. express. Awesome. Any uh, specific age range uh, for the father and son? Like? Any, any, yeah, anywhere from about eight mm-hmm. up to like 14, somewhere in there is what we're planning on. Um, Perfect. That's where they're pretty impressionable. And yeah. they, they're they're able to articulate their emotion and what they need, mm-hmm. right? So I think that's going to be a great age. Yeah, that'll be really solid. So I got two more questions for you before yeah. we wrap up. The first one is where can people find you? Um, if they're interested in that event or in working with you or looking into more of your content. Yeah. So everything's on Instagram for me. I keep it simple. Uh, I'm on Facebook. I have a free Facebook men's group called the aligned alpha Mm -hmm. to me. That's it's, you know, for guys that maybe don't have a container to show up in, in person, this gives them that outlet. And again, hundred percent free. I don't think a man should ever be without due to finances. Mm -hmm. So if he needs a safe place, he needs to offload something. He's having a rough day. Like this group Mm -hmm. is for that. And the condition is, is as long as you can show up and you can hold space for other men and they can be witness without judgment or without any outverse and everything stayed in the group. Like that's the container we're building in there. So on Facebook, uh, Danny Hill or the aligned alpha is the group on Facebook. And then just my Instagram handle the, at the aligned alpha. That's where I show up and, you know, you see some, the fun side of me, the goofy side of me, the real, the raw, the vulnerable. I don't, I don't wear a mask on social media. You know, for me, it's, Hey, you're going to like, and you're going to follow me for who I am, not for who I portrayed to be. Um, and I leave with vulnerability, like on days that I'm having a shit day, like you see that because what that does is that takes the pedestal out. And now you can relate to me saying, dude, like I've been there. I'm so glad you spoke about that because mm-hmm. I have these types of days as well. My kid does this as well. 
me and my wife are rough as well. You know, like mm-hmm. all these things, um, vulnerability creates connectivity. And that's what I strive for. Amazing. Know? Amazing. My last question for you is, what does it mean to you to live a liberated life? Liberated life. Yeah. A freedom. Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> for me, it's just being able to wake up mm-hmm. and be so happy with yourself that you don't seek external validation. Like when you can wake up and you are not needing the approval of others, you're not seeking or trying to escape on social media. You can be fully present with your family or just with yourself when needed. Um, Like it makes you feel empowered and it makes you feel in control. And the moment that you seek external stuff, now you can be controlled Right. So if like I'm seeking something from you and I'm not getting it mm-hmm. now, you have power over me. Mm-hmm. So if you can be so grounded in the tune with yourself that you control and harness all your power, that it's not coming from external things. That's when you're that's that's freedom to me. You know, it doesn't it, freedom to me is not the house, the cars, the money and all that. That's a byproduct of being in alignment mm-hmm. with the physical, mental, the emotional and spiritual. That's the byproduct. Mm-hmm. But the four main things of alignment are those. And if you can be in alignment with all those, that's freedom. And that's feeling liberated. I love it. Danny, thank you so much for being on the Zen Stoic Path, man. This is awesome. Thank you, brother. I appreciate it. It's been a pleasure.